You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there. I'm here in the Gangland Wire studio in another day of COVID-19 virus uh, uh, quarantine. Maybe I'm not really quarantined. Uh, I know uh, a lot of people are quarantined, and, you know, I, I want to give a shout-out to Basil Tarabiche. He is a guy that helps me a lot with uh, social media marketing, and we did a podcast together. We, he likes to do movie reviews of mob movies. And he is, he couldn't, we were going to do another one and he's had to work all night long, had to work two shifts, almost 20 hours in a Dallas hospital. He, he works in a Dallas area hospital. So he's, uh, he's in the breach. So, uh, Basil, uh, uh, I salute your service to the, to the rest of us. I, I would not want, I'm glad I'm not a policeman anymore. I'd have to go out there and deal with people that, that more than likely have it and are communicable. So, uh, but anyhow, we have Michael McCollum on the, line here and and on skype i'll put, be putting this up on facebook and as you guys know i worked intelligence and organized crime but we also worked motorcycle gangs here in kansas city we had the uh, l4 steros and the galloping gooses and and i believe the galloping gooses kind of ate up the l4 steros because they were a, have a small minor club out uh, way out in the far out suburbs so uh, i used to have a guy that worked for me and he kind of tried to go undercover with the galloping gooses. At least he dressed like a biker and hang out in the bars where they were. But you can't you can't get in with those dudes, man. And, and Michael McCollum is a former Hell's Angels and 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 is a real deal biker. And he was connected to the Chicago outfit. So you guys in Chicago will be really interested to uh, to hear his. Uh, responses on that and he's working on a book and that's how we first got together michael welcome how you doing buddy and so i'm not sure how did you how'd you find my name you contacted me somehow i think i don't know telepathically god put you in my path for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> i did a little I did, I did a little intel on you Okay, his his wonders work in strange ways. Sometimes it puts strange people together. And and Michael, you're you know I, I used to uh, uh, I spent a lifetime working on outlaws and and working doing the best I could to to take your freedom away. And and you were an outlaw. And I have I have several friends like that. So it's interesting that we will now have this relationship. Uh, I've recently started up a, a relationship with a local guy named Stephen St. John. And even more interesting is my crew did the surveillance on him with an FBI agent that put him away for for not for two years, not for three years, but for 10 solid years. He came back out. He changed his life, and he, he had a, a, some real redemption since then and got in the used car business for a while, and he's retired now. And, and hell, we meet about once a week, uh, have uh, donuts at the Donut King, which is kind of apropos. <laughs> I'm not seeing him right now. We talk on the phone about every other day. So, Michael, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure to meet you and work with you, and, and you got a book in, in uh, works, and, and folks, we're not going to go way deep in that book we'll do another one that'll talk a little more about the the book this is kind of an introductory uh i want to introduce you to michael and and his life and and so when he does that book we'll do another podcast that will will really tell you a lot more about the book and you'll learn a lot more about him in particular his connection to the chicago outfit up there which most of my fans are, are real mob aficionados michael uh, uh motorcycle gang a little bit but but they're especially my chicago fans they are outfit aficionados they i have to be careful because i'll say something wrong and and they'll be all over me so 
Michael, tell tell the wiretappers there. Uh, people that listen to this, uh, we affectionately call them the wiretappers. Tell the wiretappers out there a little bit about you know how how did we first get together and where's your where's your kind of, where is your book going right now? What what point in time are you? My book's about halfway done um, with this quarantine shit. I mean, I got I'm limited on my weights and my my place and you know so I read, I lift, I read, I lift. I'm a little more than halfway done with my manuscript. I'm looking at the book being done in a couple more months and being okay. released, but being released by late fall, uh, November, December, maybe. I was trying to hit the date of my my daughter died three years ago. I was trying to hit the date of her birth date. It wasn't going to happen. I, I got hurt. I got injured. I broke up my humerus bone, my shoulder, had major emergency surgery on something else. So. You know, and some personal things that I was yeah, trying to yeah. fix. So, you know, I just had to get right in my head and focus and, and you know, do this book. You know, it's 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 pretty cathartic because, you know, it's a, it's a lot of shit that's terrible about my life. Starting out as a, as a, as a child, being born into this shit. So, Michael, I was, uh, now, one one thing I want to bring out first is, is you are going to have a, a, a well-known mob author that a lot of people know Denny Griffin who's a good That's friend of mine, mine uh help you with this so he's a great guy and that that really gives a new author a leg up and he's given a lot of new authors like yourself a leg up he, he is I have to do a shout out to Denny Griffin yeah he's uh he, he's taking care of me or he's fatal many of people uh he did a book with Frank Collada listen with, with another thing I'm going to be real transparent about this I'm not a snitch I never uh uh, ran it on any bike club I was involved with or anybody uh, with the Chicago outfit. Um, either people are in my book are dead or in the penitentiary. So I think that lends a little more credence to my book than most people that come on a podcast or are trying to promote a book. Their agenda is, you know, obviously to sell out their, their crew. I will never do that. Yeah, um, interesting. There's certain things, I mean, you're on the dark, you're on the, the, the light side and I'm on the dark side. Well, you're on the light side now. <laughs> but I mean, I believe in, I believe in redemption. I do too. But but the na- the name of my book is going to be called Never Too Late to Mend. And what that premise means is obviously I was involved in some very heinous, crazy shit with 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 uh, biker wars and you know with the outfit and uh, I, 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 after my daughter died, I wanted to mend um, certain things in my life, and that's getting right with myself. You know, mentally and everything, because when 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 you're when you're when you're a certain way and you're all about club business or or, or outfit business, you know, you, you have to do what you're told to do and you handle it, and um, you, you don't deviate from anything else or you're going to lose your life. Your, your, yeah, brothers, really. your brothers are going to either whack you or uh, you know Tony Montalbano or whoever. You know what I mean? You're going to get get in the car, sit in the front seat, and two behind the head. So it always said up there in Chicago back in the 70s and 80s, you did not want to get in a car and have Harry Ailman sitting in the back seat or one of those Calabrese brothers, uh, Nick and (laughs) Frank Calabrese said you did not want to have them in the back seat behind you. Anyhow, uh, moving right along, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the first part of your book. And I I had a discussion with a uh, uh, one of the uh, fans of the podcast, a wiretapper, lived down in Dallas. He spent I think two tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and and he's been working in PTSD ever since. And and we we were talking about this, and and so many guys that lived your life. 
they're really, uh, and you, you can read between the lines when you learn a little bit about their, their childhood. Not everybody is forthcoming with their childhood as, as you are in your book. I've read the first three chapters, and it, it's really, it's pretty well written. I was kind of surprised. You, you, you're doing okay. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest. I'm having a hard time. I'm dyslexic. It's hard. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be put in my book. I mean, I want people to know that you never quit, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, you know. Uh, Whatever comes to don't, don't quit. We had a saying in law school, good writing is hard. <laughs> and, and it is. It's really difficult. But uh, you you, t- you describe your youth, and this guy talked about, I won't give away his anonymity just yet. I haven't really talked to him again, but but it was an interesting conversation about PTSD, and he talked about these guys in the military, and 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 he said, you know, they, they go in the military and they see all these horrible things, and, and I've seen a few, and, and, and that just seeing and, and then when you really participate in horrible things, or if you're a victim of, of horrible atrocities, uh, that's a little strong word maybe, but it maybe not either, that, that it affects somebody the rest of their life, and it, it really can steer your life. And, you know, then we reach out for alcohol and drugs, Trying to to keep that stuff down, and to deal, the only way we knew how to deal with it. I mean, I, I had my own go around with with alcohol over the years, and finally uh, got rid of that. But uh, but you you had uh, a lot of these mob guys. They had a kind of a you know really uh, angry, uh, violent fathers, and and uh, that's not that uncommon. It seems to me like when you can find out a little bit about their childhood. So it's like they were they were into this this thing and before they even knew it. I think you had some of the same situation growing up. Yeah. Yes, I did. Um, like I said, I didn't ask to be bored into this lifestyle. My father was a you know high-ranking outlaw motorcycle club member, uh, two uh, original bike clubs that were very dangerous in Chicago, and he was an associate of the, of the Chicago outfit. So these guys, these, these guys were like my uncles. I mean, you know, you talked about PTSD. Yes, I have it. My house was blown up as a young boy, uh, two sticks of dynamite. My father went to do something with a couple mob guys. One of the mob guys backed out. They got set up. It was called the Red Tag Squad. It was uh, Mayor Daly back in the 60s. You know, he had his own assassins that were police officers. They would father, follow, you know, guys around doing predicate acts. They would, they would you know, let, let them do it, you know, a couple months, maybe a year, and then they would uh, assassinate them. Do I agree or don't I agree? It's not my place. They had to deal with a lot of shit back in that days. So, you know, maybe it was good for them. I don't know. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of police departments, big police departments, we did, Mars wasn't quite so bad, but they had something called the Red Squad. That's not, that they had a, a really bad one out in Los Angeles. The Red Squad mainly would follow communists around and, and work on any kind of social distance. And, and these guys were, they were usually the baddest of the whole unit. These guys would be the baddest of the bad. I, I, probably, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't put up with them either. I probably, probably, they'd either knight me a thousand years ago or or throw me off the police force. (laughs) I heard stories when I first came in the intelligence unit about some of the stuff they did back in the 60s when we had the uh, Vietnam War protests and and civil rights uh, riots and marches and stuff. And and it it was not pretty. It was a different world back then. So, uh, and and you came up through that world. And so uh, the bombing, what did they put a bomb at your house? House? Yes. What happened was <laughs> my mother's 100% Italian and 
God rest her soul, she's not here no more, but she has family that, that were always outfit. My mother called this guy Sammy and told him that my father was going to kill him, and my father said he was a rat. Probably not a smart move to tell a high-ranking uh, lieutenant from the Chicago outfit that he's, he's going to potentially be killed. So with that, he uh, got a hold of another guy that, that my father was tight with, and uh, he was Italian, and he was in a mob, and he was a bomb maker. And they call him Professor. You know, later in my book, I talk about how I try to kill him as I get older and, and reach out to him in the federal penitentiary where some of my brothers were at as, when I was a Hells Angel up in Oxford, Wisconsin. I just wanted to know the day he was getting released and I was going to kill him down the street because he blew my house up as a child. And my father was a tough guy, but part of me feels he was afraid of him. I fear nobody. I mean, I fear God. That's it. But the very bottom line was he ran up the back stairs of my house. It was a Cape Cod, a Chicago Cape Cod. And uh, there was a famous pizza place there in Chicago. And he ran up the back stairs and threw two sticks of dynamite through a four-pane glass window. And it rolled on the ground. I remember hearing it, seeing it. And my mother jumped on me and my brother and saved our lives while, wow. my, badass, while my badass father hid behind the couch. So, I mean... You can act all tough all you want, but if you're going to not protect your family, I mean, I'm not trying to write this book to talk shit about my father. My father's a jag off, for one. He ran me over on my Harley Davidson, tried to kill me, and I'm his own son. But uh, this story's got to be told because, you know, back then, you know, you didn't call the cops when your dad beat the shit out of you. Or, uh, and, and the cops in my town were afraid of my dad. My dad was a dangerous dude. Uh, he shot at cops. Um, you know, he went to prison. He went to federal prison. He kidnapped the manager of the Grateful Dead over uh, two kilos that was owed to him. So, you know, that's all going to be in my book. But listen, man, I'm not, you know, poor me, my dad. I am who I am. That's why my book's called Never Too Late to Mind. I just want to get right with certain things in my life and certain people. And that's all I care about, Gary. I mean, in the, in the end, you know, I lost my daughter three years ago. It, it, it's, it had a profound effect on my life, relationships, everything. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of more, it sounds crazy that I'm writing a book and I'm doing this interview, but I'm kind of more, you know, to myself now. I train, I'm, I'm back into martial arts again. I still have a broken shoulder, but, you know, I try to stay busy. I, I, I kind of find it funny. I was incarcerated for two years for some pistol charges, shooting at, a, you know, a rival bike club. I'm laughing about people bitching about being locked in a house. You got to play. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Go in an eight by eight and see what's happening. Yeah. Two sullies, you know? Um, <laughs> you're either going to be alpha male and tell them this is what's going on or, you know, go PC yeah. up. You know, yeah, that's really. not my rule. But, uh, <laughs> I got this you. is a whole new life for me. <laughs> and I met some great people. You're, you're dynamite. I told you, man, you're solid and I always do interviews <laughs> for you. I don't care about doing interviews. You know what I mean? The book's going to sell itself, but you helped me get to where I'm at. So, like I said, uh, I'll always be appreciative. All right. I appreciate that. You know, we're uh, we're going to get together here later on in the year. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute about motorcycles too. You know, I'm a motor I'm a motorcycle guy too, but uh, I like to I like to go fast. <laughs> I just bought a new bike. I, What'd I you get? All mad at me because of it, but whatever. What'd you get? <laughs> I got a bagger. I got a 2011 bagger. It's used, cool. you know, full dresser Harley. Yeah. It's only got like, it only had 4,000 miles on it. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy a second bike. I'm going to buy another one. I'm going to get a uh, road glide for me and oh, my yeah. girl. Yeah, I, I, I like sport bikes. I've and I always had English bikes back when I was younger, and then I got away from them. And then when I got older, I, uh, I decided got back into it about fifteen years ago, and I bought a, a Honda CBX six fifty, and that sucker was so fast. Oh my god! So I had a Hayabusa before yeah. years ago, and my, my club got pissed at me. And I, yeah. That's when I met Jesse James in California. Oh, really? He let me he let me take his for a ride, and it had a turbo on it. So I said, "Shit, man! I go back to Chicago. I'm buying a fucking 240 mile an hour motorcycle. I don't <laughs> you guys will break down. I'll drive past you. You know what I mean? Give me a fine. I don't care. Oh <laughs> well, <laughs> love it." Anyhow, moving right along. So uh, now your dad was he, he he was a motorcycle gang member. He, was he in the Hell's Angels? No, Hell's Legacy, Angels, another gang. Listen, the Hell's Angels. Many years ago, there was a confederation of all the Chicago bike clubs, ah. and they all pulled together and they said, if the Hell's Angels cross the Mississippi past Minnesota, they're going to wipe them out. Well, they pushed their way here and, and, and solidified. They ain't going nowhere. Um, they're not afraid of the outlaws. They're not afraid. Um, you know, I, I'm hearing the Mongols are setting up a charter here in Chicago. You know, it is what it is. It's going to be an interesting summer. My father was an original member of the American Breed Motorcycle Club. Okay. Um, they're no longer, though they kind of are around. They got disbanded. They got caught with like $20 million cash and a bunch of drugs. And they all went, a lot of them were all mob guys, you know, associates, which made them more dangerous in a bike club because, you know, now you really have the keys of the city. So, yeah. And then my dad became an American or a, a DC Eagle, which was derived from Damon and Cortland on the north side of Chicago. The bike club's still around. Um, that club, in my book, had a profound effect on me for what they did for my family after we got blown up. They took us to Wisconsin and hit us out so my dad and his guys could go after these guys and kill them. And I'll never forget that. So later in life, I, that was my first motorcycle club that was and then it became a hell's angel and then after that many years later um the 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 outlaws came to me and begged me to join and i laughed at them and we were at war for many years i don't i'm sure you know all that so i joined and i was the only one in the united states to become a full ratified member of the gary indiana outlaws ever done in the united states of, of any outlaw biker so i mean it's not like it's a big accomplishment but you know not many people could say they've done that so I obviously have to be some kind of pedigree with being a little dangerous back in the day to, <laughs> yeah. to be involved with them. Um, you had to have a history. Me, yeah, they told me that they used to drive around with body bags for me and Mo, the president at the time. And, uh, you know, they knew where we uh, lived, obviously. Um, you know, bikers have a code no matter what. I mean, we don't fuck with people's houses. We don't go to jobs and, and shoot them. I mean, if we're going to get you, we're not going to. We're not going to do it the Italian way and, you know, have your best friend Sal come and, you know, you know, take you over to the butcher shop and sit down and yeah. a cup of coffee and shoot you in the back of the head. We're just going to we're just going to beat you in ball ping hammers and and kill you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or shoot you and um, not care about it. Probably, you know, go eat a pasta dinner when you're done. That was the role that I was in. And then the other thing is the president of the my charter. We were best friends. He's a bodybuilder. Mo Chancy. He worked for the ATF. Uh, he tried to put heat on the club. I told the club before I quit, he's a rat. Nobody wanted to listen to me. Um, certain people did want to listen to me. Then certain people wanted me to make a move on him and potentially uh, 
get him out of the way permanently. And yeah. um, I didn't feel good with a lot of it. It, it, it. My heart was really heavy because I kept this man alive. The outlaws were trying to knock his head off and mine. You know, I kind of gave up my family for a little while, my, my ex-wife and my kids. And that became my kind of obsession was to keep my best friend alive. And uh, when I became an outlaw, they told me, why did you do that? Why didn't you just let him shoot us, man? I mean, let, you know, let, let us shoot him and kill him and, and, and just not be involved in it because you knew he was a rat. And I couldn't do that. Even though yeah. he was a rat, I couldn't do it. I told him the night I quit. I'm quitting because I love you and I don't want to have to kill you, man. And that's it. So, so I how, did, how does that work, Michael, to leave a motorcycle club? It seems like it's one of those things forever. And you you were in the Hells Angels. And, and how would that work for you to move from the Hells Angels to the Outlaws? Well, I'm, I'll be really honest with you. And I don't talk about it very much. My ex-girl knows the whole thing, Michelle. I talk to her about it. And, um, she's in clinical psychology. And I, she's helped me profoundly with a lot of it. But, but the very bottom line is um, if you put in work at, at, in anything – and you become great at something, you know, people tend to not want to replace you or um, they're not going to want to fuck with you per se and, and, and kill you. Um, I was a shooter for the club. I was, I was a dangerous guy. Uh, I did things for the club in the name of the club. You know, I got my patch in three months. I went to New York city, the pagans we were at war with, and I did something with somebody up there and uh, uh, somebody we were at war with. And I didn't agree. I thought New York City was badass. You know, the brothers up there didn't fuck around. And then you had Canada right over the border. Those were the real guys. I mean, if you've seen Canadian patches, people are going to die. You know, I got, I, I left there. I, I'm not going to say I killed anybody, at least that I not know of right now. Remember, there's no statute of limitations on murder. <laughs> I already talked to my attorney, Joel. Lopez, okay. Said, Don't worry about it. All right. All right. <laughs> but, but the very bottom line is the guy got what he deserved. He did something to a little girl. That he was related to, and he was a high-ranking member of the pagans, and he okay. got what he did. He got what he deserved, and the feds watched me do it with a ho- with a hoodie on. Later, after I quit, all they said to me was it was street justice. Yeah, and, and, and they agreed. I mean, hey, you guys believe in what you believe in, we believe in what we believe in. I mean, I know you guys don't believe in little kids or women being fucked with. So, you know, if, if you could turn your head, turn your head. That's pretty yeah. much what happened. So I got my patch, came back to Chicago. I started getting very paranoid with a lot of things. Things were moving very quickly. I was going to meetings. I was going to California. I became an officer right away, a sergeant at arms. Then I moved up, and it was just, uh, you know, we're hanging with movie stars, you know, snorting coke with Charlie Sheen. I was going to beat them up. I didn't like them. And then my, <laughs> my club got mad at me in New York and told me, hey, go outside and, you know, talk to some girls or something. I don't care about no girls. I don't like this asshole, you know, so... My club turned on me with certain things, and I didn't agree with it. I mean, if we're a brotherhood, you know what I mean? You know, we're our brother's keeper, and that's how it is. But, you know, unfortunately, everybody's about the Hollywood. That shit doesn't – I don't get starstruck. I've got at least, you know, three times a week people hitting me up on Messenger wanting to give me acting jobs. I'm not an actor. I'm a real-life motherfucker. This is my life. This is my life. You you could play yourself pretty good in some of those movies, though. (laughs) I was involved with shit that made The Sopranos look like bubblegum monsters. So, I mean, that's the reality of it.
I've always been curious about something. You're a Wisconsin, Chicago biker, and you talked about going to New York and Canadian motorcycle gangs. And I know motorcycle gangs in, in Canada are a big deal. The Hells Angels are, are a big presence up there. They helped uh, the Rizzutos uh, up in Montreal with their drug dealings and, and were an important part of that whole operation up there. They kept the Rizzutos going. It's cold up there. Your your riding season is a lot shorter, but it seems like there's a bigger presence in the north part of the United States than there is in the southern part. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I may be wrong, but it just seems like there's a lot of motorcycle activity up there, and it's so damn cold. What do you guys do? Eight months out of the year, you, you, you got to get in your pickup trucks and your cars, man. <laughs> right. the, just to answer that for you, Gary, it's the, 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 the geographic, you know, the makeup up there, that's where a lot of drugs come in, the pure cocaine, uh, yeah. ecstasy, um, now it's meth. And, you know, I don't believe they fuck with the, the fentanyl. I haven't heard. I've been out of the loop. I don't talk to none of my club brothers. You know, whatever they do, they do up there. You know, obviously, not all Hells Angels are criminals. You know, most of them are, I'll be honest with you. But for the most part, I used to feel bad when, like, a brother would come up to me and say, hey, you know, Michael, you know, why did you just knock this fucking guy out or why did you do this or that? And then I started understanding, man, like my actions is going to give us a Rico. And this fucking poor guy that's an elevator uh, operator, union operator, just about ready to retire. He's probably going to go to federal prison with me and uh, lose his pension and his family. So I, I did a whole 160. And whenever something had to be done for in the name of the club, I did it by myself. Yeah, interesting, I interesting. Involve, I didn't involve my brothers. I became very yeah. dangerous. I became more dangerous by myself. And then usually when somebody saw me coming, that was, you know, in a bad way, they knew what time of day it was. Yeah. It was, you know, it was probably too late. You just said something. You mentioned the word Rico, and, and most of the wiretappers out there know what that means. But And I have said this before, that the, the Rico Act, Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organization. Set up and, for the mob. If Michael is part of an organization, and, and it's obvious that he is because he's wearing the, the club colors and everything, it's easy to say this is an organization. Well, the feds start looking at you at that organization. They want to take down the organization. They don't want to take down just you because the organization keeps going. Somebody just take your place. So you go out and you beat somebody up because, and, and just a simple beat down that might even happen in a bar, but you do that. And, and then you get arrested for it or they document it in some way, that becomes a predicate act. And you need about three predicate acts, and then they start in the whole organization and take the whole organization down. It's a really powerful tool that they came up with in, the I believe, the late 70s and has taken out, you know, it's really dealt dealt the mob a huge blow, which was what it was built for, but they've used it on motorcycle gangs yeah, too because they, yeah. you are an organization. All right. They just did it to the Mongols in California. They they stripped them of their patch. Um, you know, I don't know if many people know most bike clubs. If you got your shit together, you uh, uh you know, you you copyright the, the the your logo, your your insignia that goes on your back, your colors, your patch. The Hell's Angels sued Marvel Comics for fifty million dollars because they did uh, an expose or some bullshit, and we were all laughing. We all got money and. We got three comic books, and we were really? laughing like, we're gangsters on Harleys, and we're suing Marvel Comics. Man. What's going on? You know what I mean? I know. It is what it is. It, it is. A, it's such an interesting, uh, 
unusual phenomenon in this country. And and not only you got the gangs, the real deal gangs, then you got all these doctors and lawyers and dentists that want to run around wearing colors and, and bandanas on their head. That's right. It's <laughs> you know, I used to when people used to come around, I was always cool, but you know, I was a mean motherfucker, man. I was three hundred and thirty pounds on steroids. I yeah. was out knocking heads off and shooting. You know, people would come up and say, hey, how do you become a uh, hell's angel? And I'd say, hey, let's go kill a bunch of outlaws. Let's go to their clubhouse. Well, now, let's I'll, do it. I'll ratify you right now. I may even give you your own charter. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they would look at you like you had ten heads. But, you know, for the most part, it's not too far from the truth. Yeah, interesting. Now, you, you mentioned you did steroids. Tell, I don't really know much about that. And, and a lot of the guys, these guys out here may not know much about that. How, how does that, how do you get them? I mean, what, how do you get started in that? And and how's that work? Me, it all started when I met Mel Chance, you, you know, the boss of the Hells Angels. My, my ex-best friend, we went to a local gym. It was on TV. Uh, there was a pit bull and they shot him with steroids and they had him on that's incredible. And he like pulled a sled with 2000 pounds. And I was a skinny, you know, half Irish, half Italian kid. I said, Holy shit, man, I need to check this gym out. So I went in there and I ran in the mouth and uh, we got steroids and we got, we got pretty decent. My dad's got 22 inch arms. He was a power lifter. So I have genetics. Wow. My little sister's a natural bodybuilder. Um, you know, I don't need that shit, but back then I did. Because I hated my dad, and I and I took it because I said, you know, one day when I get older, I'm going to pound his fucking head in um, for beating my mother and me and my brother and all this stupid shenanigans. So uh, at the gym back then, you know, you go you go back in the locker room, and you, you tell him, I, I, there's what I want to do. I want to get bigger. I want to cut up. And, you know, you have your, uh, you know, gym, you know, gym pharmacist in the back, you know. And then if you're afraid to shoot yourself in the ass, they'll administer it. Um, I got into bodybuilding, powerlifting. I got real aggressive. Did it affect your uh, your temperament? Yes. I'm a black belt in Taekwondo and Hapkido, and I would go out to bars and go to all the clubs and, and beat up bouncers. I wanted to beat the biggest guys up. And then when I got to a certain point, it wasn't fun no more. And uh, I got off the steroids, and, uh, and I, I met a girl, got married, had two kids. And, you know, during the interim of all that, I got back into the bike clubs. You know, we, we had, on the flip side, we had a young policeman once that he was real gung-ho and aggressive, got in one of the tax squads, one of the SWAT teams, and, and all of a sudden, he was a little skinny, wiry guy, and all of a sudden, he he puffed up, man. He was he was buff. And, and he started, but he started having a lot of trouble on the street, a lot of trouble with anger at... And and by the end, yeah, aggress- overly aggressive. He was pretty aggressive before, but he was overly aggressive now and made some real bad uh, choices. And yeah. next thing you know, he's gone. And, and the last I heard of him, he was bouncing in a strip club. So <laughs> Maybe he's going to join the Hells Angels. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whatever happened to him after that. I haven't thought of him in years until you told that story. But it'll do it to you, man. Yeah, it will. It'll do it to you. You know, you got. I mean, unless you're a pro athlete and you're making millions – you know, that's the only way I would advocate it. Um, yeah. You know, it's not worth it. But guys that are over 50, hey, they do testosterone replacement therapy. You know, you get a little bigger and, uh, you know, your your wife's happy for, you know, eight hours a day. <laughs> yeah, that's what I need, man. <laughs> I think that'd help me out. Fortunately with me, me and my girl broke up for a little bit. So I, don't know what's going on. I could use some of that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, moving right along. 
I'm looking forward to coming up there, and and I want to meet up with you. And let's and you got a motorcycle, so let's let's ride around some mob spots, and I'll do a little videotaping of myself standing in front of them. I did one of these trips down through Bonnie and Clyde sites, and and I'll uh, I, I think my friend uh, retired another re- got an early medical retirement. A, a a lady sergeant from the PD will probably come. She has a sport bike too, and so I look forward to doing that with you this summer sometime. Right now I'm set up. I don't know if you could ever come to Kansas City the last week of June. Right now it's set. Some guys are going to come in, like Larry Henry, who's uh, he's from Fayetteville, Arkansas, but he blogs for the Mob Museum. I think maybe the owner of the Gangster Museum down in uh, uh, Fayetteville, or I mean uh, Hot Springs, will come up. And uh, there's another guy that's kind of an expert on Frank Costello that has a, uh, a Facebook page. He's going to come in. We'll try to get some people to come in, and I'll I'll throw it out to all my podcast fans, and and, and we'll just kind of get together on a, a Saturday afternoon and and do a, uh, a, a, a like a I'll do a program, and Larry will talk, talk a little bit, and I've got another mob guy here. I think I can get Shook Loose to come over and, and do a little program, and 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 you know if you could come down, why we you do about thirty forty minutes would be fun, and then we'll go on a mob tour. I, I know a guy that's got a bus that uh, will, eat, will each person will have to pay a little bit to to take care of him, but we'll go on a mob tour of Kansas City. So uh, that's on uh, June twenty seventh right now, but you know with this thing everything's up in the air. I'll, I'll be putting a lot more out. If it looks like we can get it done, I'll be putting a lot more out about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. Good. And and probably with this thing coming up, I probably won't come up till July, but that's better to come up to Chicago in July. Oh, yeah. The coldest April I ever spent once, I had an aunt that lived up there, and she died, and I had to spend about two weeks off and on up there during that time. And, oh, my God, I froze my ass off. <laughs> it's crazy up there. You, know, you get resi- Chicago people are resilient, you know? Yes, they are. <laughs> I mean, you, you, we got a beautiful city. What can you say? I mean, it is. But I like so Michael- city. Michael, we didn't really get around to your outfit stuff, and and we know that you were an associate and did a lot of stuff for him. And and next time we get together, we will deal a little more with the you, with your outfit stuff. So it gives the wiretapper something to look forward to. And and I appreciate you. Actually, real quick, my my old guy was on his crew. He just passed away. God rest his soul. Tony yeah, Calabri- Tony Calabrese. Tony Calabrese, you were on that crew. I, yeah, I, I he think was, he was a real motherfucker. He didn't play, but yeah. we'll get to it next time. But I almost yeah. had to kill him. So I probably wish I would have. It would have saved the little people's lives. We'll do that next time. Michael, I appreciate you being here. It's been a pleasure. And and to actually talk to you face-to-face, we've talked on the phone several times, and we'll continue to collaborate and and help each other. Like I say, I got to tell all these guys, rising tide lifts all boats. (laughs) So continue to help each other. I. I just sent word to uh, indirectly to Sammy the Bull Gravano that he needs to come on my podcast because he's starting a podcast. And, and I said, bodyguard, hey, if he needs a bodyguard, <laughs> there you go. And I said, te- I said, tell him that a rising tide lifts all boats. And, and this guy was a mob guy. He kind of thought, he said, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> that is good. That's the best I've heard. All right, but, brother, keep your, uh, keep your gunpowder dry, and I'll talk to you, man. Okay, okay all, right, all right, Michael, Michael talk, talk to you later. later. I know, I'll, 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 I'll call, call you right after I get done here, okay? Okay, thank okay. you. Bye. Bye. That was Michael McCollum, former Hells Angels Outlaws, Chicago mob associate, was uh, connected to a guy named Tony Calabrese. We'll hear more about that next time. He's an interesting guy. Um, he, he's really a good guy. 
his heart's in the right place and he's working hard on this book gonna get this done the next few months with uh Den- our friend denny griffin but we will continue when when the book's ready probably we will do another show with him and get a lot more into the outfit if you're a veteran and you believe you have problems that might be from ptsd and it's connected to your service which it's probably going to be or you're a relative of somebody that that has problems connected to their service that involves ptsd reactions call the local vet center in your area uh, most large cities have one or the VA hospital, they'll have resources. And there's a national hotline, 1-800-273-8255, then press 1 if you're a veteran. And then there's a website that the VA has that has a lot of resources. It's www.ptsd.va.gov. This has been another of the COVID virus episodes. I do want to put in a little commercial, hit me up on the Venmo, but this is in the middle of the virus thing. You probably, you need to conserve your own money right now. We'll do that later. Remember, I have my two movies on my website, or you can rent them for $1.99 on Amazon. Gangland Wire, that's a story about the, uh, mainly about the skimming from Las Vegas. And the second one's uh, Brothers Against Brothers, the Savella Spiro War. I have my book. Leaving Vegas, how FBI wiretaps ended mob domination of Las Vegas casinos. And don't forget to, you ought to get the Kindle version if you got that, because I have all the wiretaps uh, linked up to that. And you can just tap on a page in the book and, and get the wiretap associated with that and actually listen to it in real life. Now, if you're stuck in your house, you want to take a mob tour of Kansas City, uh, Kansas City mob tour apps available in the uh, iTunes store only. I want to give one more shout out to uh, Basil Terabisi who uh, spent the whole night working in a hospital in Dallas after working there all day. And we salute you, Basil, and thanks, Michael. We will talk to you later, folks. Good night. Music provided by our good friend and superfan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.